I wanted to start the, the year off asking this question. What is on your watch list? Now, those of you who use streaming uh, devices, and that's probably most of you, uh, most of you who have streaming services for your entertainment are familiar with the concept of a watch list. You probably have one for every app that you have on your phone or your television set, and it's a, it's a tool that comes with these streaming services that helps you decide what to watch because there's so much out there, and it's not like it was in the days of live TV where you just watch whatever's on on the three channels that you have available to you. It, it's hard to... You can spend your whole evening trying to decide what to watch and not watching anything. What's on your watch list? Take a look at it. Evaluate it. It says a lot about your values, about what entertains you, what amuses you, what your priorities are. And uh, some of us need to clean up our watch lists, right? And a good resolution for the new year would be to be more careful about what we put into our ears and what we take in through our eyes, knowing that what we are entertained with and what we consume becomes a part of us. Now that's a lesson, but that's not this morning's lesson. I want to think about this regarding the new year. What's on your watch list for 2023? In other words, what are you going to focus on in the upcoming year? It's very important. And our text says this, 2 John verse 8, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourselves, he says. Focus for two reasons. Number one, so that you may not lose what we have worked for. John and the other apostles who built the church up and the preachers who, who worked alongside of them and all those early Christians who spread the gospel throughout the world worked hard, risked their lives, underwent dangers, were thrown into prison, uh, gave everything, sacrificed everything to establish churches and to bring the gospel to the lost so that they may be saved. And John said, it is possible that you could lose your focus and lose what we have worked for to bring the gospel, to plant seed. So first of all, that is at stake. And secondly, you need to watch so that you may gain a full reward. Now already as Christians here on earth, we have... Much of the reward, we have a spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the relief of forgiveness of sins. We have the peace that surpasses all understanding. We have the privilege of prayer and worship. We have answered prayer and the providence of God, but there's more. That's the tip of the iceberg. There is a full reward awaiting us in heaven. And if we don't watch ourselves, if we don't focus, then we can lose that. There's work to be done. Watch yourselves. Focus. What a great goal for 2023. We talk about New Year's resolutions. There's one. Ask yourself, what's on your watch list? Clean up your watch list. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about some examples of what should be on your watch list. And there are too many to cover in one lesson, so I'm prioritizing those items 
that have something to do with your eternal destiny, matters of eternal destiny. So let's get started on, I have five for us this morning. And the first one is this, watch your will. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus is an example, and of him it is said, quoting the Psalms, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus came to earth to do the will of God. What an example to those of us who have a will. And yes, you do have free will. You have a choice. It hasn't been predetermined what your life will be. God has given you a choice. Otherwise, he would not have said this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. Why would God be asking and hoping that we would keep his commandments if he could control us like puppets and make us go where he wants us to go? He blessed us by creating us in his image and included in that is free will. We have a choice. We make our destiny. God wants us to go in a certain direction, but he won't force us to go in that direction. We have our will, and we have God's will. Now, before you make that choice, you need to understand a few things about human will. First of all, if you choose your will, know this. Our will does not lead to human flourishing. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, I know, O oh Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in a man who walks to direct his steps. The best way is not in ourselves. Similarly, our will is misleading. Jeremiah also said in Jeremiah 17, verse 11, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? He's not talking about God's heart there. He's talking about our own. Number three, the human will is selfish. Paul spoke of those who seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. And anticipating our own age, he said, there will be people who are lovers of self. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Was that not prophetic? Do we not live in a world today where people love first and foremost themselves above all others? Another thing about the human will is it is destructive and it is destructive to other people. When Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said they were using their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And what does that mean? That simply means they were choosing their own will. And he issued this warning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. He said, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Because they had chosen to walk according to the flesh, they'd chosen their own will, they were destroying each other. But it doesn't just destroy others. Your human will is destructive to yourself. And so the proverb reads in Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And notice also, finally, that our will is sinful. And we all know that because there's not a soul in here who hasn't committed sin. Paul says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And that happens, friends, when we choose our will over the will of God. Now, Christ is an example here who in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed before his arrest and crucifixion and prayed that he might follow the will of God over his own will. His will had come into conflict in terms of, of what his desires were, what his temptations were. And you remember that prayer, according to Mark 14, verse 36, it's worded this way. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And then he states his will. Remove this cup from me. He's speaking of the cup of suffering. But then he says, yet not I, not what I will, but what you will. God's will, the Father's will, was for him to go to the cross. And that is indeed what he did. Not because he was forced into it, but he chose the will of God over his own will. God knows what is best for us. And so our will ought to be to choose the Father's will. Look at John chapter 7, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Is your will God's will? That's the first thing. Watch your will. Number two, I want to encourage you to watch your ways in 2023. Watch your ways. Now, ways is a metaphor, in, and it's used a lot in the book of Proverbs. By way, we're referring to a path or a road that you're on. According to the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, it says that ways is the most characteristic portrayal of direction of life in the book of Proverbs. Now, listen to this. It implies, number one, entry into an action. Number two, habitual movement in the same direction. And number three, arrival at a destination, your destiny. In other words, it implies a beginning and a middle and an end. When you left your home to come to church this morning, first, you entered the road. You started down the road. Secondly, you continued in a direction. You habitually drove in a particular direction toward the church. And thirdly, because you're here, we know that you arrived at a destination. And that's a whole idea that's packed into the imagery of the way as it is used in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in the Bible. Now, God may not make your choices for you, as we talked about in the last point, but he does keep his eyes on your ways. So Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 says, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. God is watching your ways. Are you watching your ways? What does that mean? It basically amounts to obeying the Lord's commands. If you're watching your ways, that's what you're doing. You're entering the path that God has laid down for you, counting on it, leading you to the right destination. So we need to watch our ways in terms of obedience with regard to a number of things. For example, our worship. We should worship God on a regular basis as we are here on the first day of the week and the first day of the year. Not neglecting to assemble, the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as the day draws near. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We should worship in spirit and truth John chapter 4, verse 24. 
we should uh, obey God's commands with regard to salvation. We should look to the Bible and see the conditions that are laid forth for obeying the gospel and being saved. Three times in the book of Acts, the question is asked, what must I do to be saved? And the answer differs depending on where the hearers are on the, their journey to salvation. Uh, here you have one person maybe that's raised in the church and another person who's never heard the name Jesus. Are you going to give them the same conditions for salvation? No, you're going to have to start at different points. So the multitude on the day of Pentecost, when they asked Peter and the other apostles, what must we do to be saved? Peter told them they already believed and they'd already confessed. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. However, in Philippi, when Paul and Silas were in prison, and the Philippian jailer experienced that earthquake and realized they were special messengers of God, and he fell to his knees and he said, what must I do? They told him, the man who had never even heard the name of Jesus before, they said, believe you and all your household and you will be saved. And believing, he eventually was baptized. But in Acts chapter 22, when Saul of Tarsus encountered the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and had already believed and had already confessed and had already spent three days praying and fasting in penance, repenting of his sins, Ananias came to his house and according to verse 16, he said, Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So what we see from that is that there are conditions for salvation that we need to obey. Depending on where you are in your journey, those conditions are different. Maybe you've obeyed the gospel and you're a Christian, but you've fallen away from the Lord over the last year, over the last several years. It may be that you need to confess your sins and repent. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel and you need to confess the name of Jesus and repent and be baptized. We're here to help you with that in whatever way you should. We need to obey God's commands with regard to our attitudes. We should control our anger and not let the sun go down on our wrath. He, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. We should be patient with all. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. We should be sympathetic, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. We should pursue peace. And those things that make for mutual upbuilding. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. We should obey God's commandments with regard to our relationships. We should love one another, as John says in 2 John 5. We should be kind to one another and bear with one another and forgive one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. We should not speak evil against our brethren or judge each other. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And finally, we should obey God's commands with regard to purity. Friends, we need to fight temptation. We need to lead pure lives. We need to dress modestly. We need to act becomingly and speak with good words around our families, around our friends in the workplace, wherever we are, because the Lord says that we should strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Watch your ways. Number three, in the upcoming year, let me challenge you to watch your words. 
Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Those are sobering words. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Do you realize that God hears every word, even the careless words, even the idle words, as one translation puts it? And the last point we notice that God is watching our ways. We also need to understand He's watching our words. He can hear them. He's listening. And words are powerful. And that's why He's listening so carefully. Death and life, the proverb says, are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Let me share with you some scriptures really quickly on how we shouldn't use our words. Number one, don't use them too frequently. What did James say in James chapter 1, verse 19? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's hard for some of us, I know. But God wants us to listen to one another. He wants us to be people who hear others and not just their own voices. The scriptures say we shouldn't use words to tear down or curse. In that chapter on the tongue, James chapter 3, James ends his thoughts on speaking, saying, Blessing and cursing are coming from the same mouth. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be. God gave us tongues to bless, not to curse. Our tongues should not be used for language that is filthy, crude, or out of place. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. They shouldn't be used for deceit. There are seven things the Lord hates. Seven things that are an abomination to Him. And one of those is... A lying tongue, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 17. They shouldn't be used for gossip. Proverbs uses the term whisperer. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whispering, where there's no gossiping, quarreling ceases. Are you in a family? Are you in a church? Are you in a workplace where there's a lot of quarreling? One of the reasons, I guarantee you, is because of people talking behind one another's back. Gossip is destructive. We're not to use our mouths, our words for that. Watch that. And here are some scriptures on how we should use our words. Number one, use them at appropriate times. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. We should use them to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. Use your words to bless and to build up. Romans 15 verse 2 says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And we should use our words to show grace. Look at Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. Paul says, Let your speech always be gracious. Let it be a gift to others, in other words. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If we just think, what is the kind word? We'll know what to say. We'll know what Christ wants us to say. There's a story about a contractor who was ready to retire. He worked for a very successful builder, 
And it was a good time in the company to leave. There were others who could take his place. So he turned in his notice of resignation. And the builder said, you've been so good. I wish you well, but I'm, I'm asking you to do one more thing for me. Build one more house for me. And then I'll let you go. So the contractor agreed. But he was ready to go. So he did shoddy work. He used inferior materials. And he got the job done as quickly as he possibly could. And on the day for the builder to come and inspect the house, he didn't go in to inspect the house. He handed the keys to the contractor and he said, congratulations, you just built your own house. Enjoy. And that's a warning to us. That's a cautionary tale. And what it's telling us is you are building the house you will live in with the words that you are using. Remember what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 12. He said, you will give an account for every careless word. By your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. Watch your words now because you are building with your words the house that you will live in. Your eternal destiny hangs on how you use your mouth. So as we come into this new year, let's pledge to use words to build up. Let's not speak hatefully to one another. Let's not be harsh or criticizing Let's show love. Let's show mercy. Let's be kind. Watch your words. Number four, we need to, fourthly, watch your work. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. You are God's fellow workers. Do you think of your life that way? That you're on the job 24 hours a day, seven days a week, working not just for the Lord working alongside of him for his great purposes. We are God's fellow workers. What's the best work that you could be doing? I'm sure there are many people here who enjoy their jobs and you love your career. Uh, some of you are ready to get off vacation and go back to work right now. And you realize the kids are home for two or three more days, just a little bit longer. You didn't think you'd be saying this at the end of the year last year, but now you're ready to go back to work. Is that your most important work? Ask yourself these questions. Number one, what work has value in eternity? Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Are you rich toward God? Luke 12, 21. What work has eternal consequences? Number two, ask yourself, what labors will follow me into the next world. I'm not going to live forever here on earth. After this life, what's next? What can I carry with me? At the end of one of the longest passages on the afterlife in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this in 58. He challenges his readers in verse 58. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. When you're doing God's work, it's not empty. It's not useless. Have you ever been at work and you think, what is all of this for? If I didn't get a paycheck, would I do this? Your labor for the Lord, no matter how small it may seem right now, is never in vain. Ask yourself, what relationships? Relationships take work, no? Relationships take a lot of work. Which relationships will follow me 
into eternity? Well, Paul answers that question at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 when he asks this question. He says, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? He says, for you, talking to his converts there in Thessalonica, you are our joy and our glory. There's no relationships that last longer than the ones you make in the church and the people that you bring to Jesus Christ. And so what work is worthwhile? What has the biggest payoff? It's the work in the kingdom of God. The Lord needs every one of us. The words that he spoke to his disciples in Matthew 9, 37 are still true. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Finally, let me challenge you in 2023 to watch your walk. We talked about your ways in uh, one of the points, I think the second point. And now we're talking about your walk. Colossians 2.6 says, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Remember that in the days the Bible was written, walking was the main means of transportation. And so what does it mean? It means to go down a road, to travel a path. Like with ways, it has a beginning, middle, and end. And this idea of your walk has to do with your lifestyle. When we talked about watching your ways, we emphasized obedience to God's commands. Now I want us to think about watching our lifestyle in general, the general direction or arc, arc of your life. What's the trajectory that you are on? Where are you headed? What's your destiny? He says, Colossians 2.6, walk in Him. Walk in Christ. And of course, you can't do that until you become a Christian. But after you make the decision to follow Jesus, what does it mean to walk in Him? Consider the following things. Number one, it means to live according to His commandments. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that I shall give to you. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33. Number two, it means to live with integrity. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. That means you're the same person everywhere you are. Integrity just means being an integrated person. All the compartments of your life fit together. You're not one person at church and a different person at work. You don't tell one kind of joke when you're around Christians and a different kind of joke when you're around the guys at the ball field. You're the same person everywhere you are when people are watching and when no one is watching, because you know that God is always watching. Number three, walking in Him means to live not to gratify the flesh, but to walk by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Number four, it means to live honestly. Romans 13, 13 reads, Walk honestly as in the day. Number five, it means to live by faith. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Number six, it means to live lives fueled by love. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
Number seven, it means to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And number eight, it means to live in fellowship with God. Confessing your sins and repenting as you commit them. Staying on track. Walking in this direction doesn't mean that you never stray to one side or the other. You'll do that, but you'll get back on track just as soon as you can when you make mistakes. Yes, Christians sin. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, John tells us that if we say we have no sin, we're liars. We deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But he says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In verse 9 of that chapter, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise that we have if we keep walking in the right direction. So watch your walk. Watch the trajectory of your life. And overall, ask yourself in 2023, what's on my watch list? Am I focusing on the right things? And remember these things. Watch your will. Watch your ways. Watch your words. Watch your work. And watch your walk. Keep your eyes open. The way you live this coming year is part of what will determine your eternal destiny. God is watching you. Are you focusing on the right things? And if you're not, we're going to sing an invitation song and encourage you to get started on the right path. We've talked about the gospel plan of salvation. We've talked about the second law of pardon. We've talked about what a person needs to do in order to have that eternal life with God in Jesus Christ. And if you need some help with that this morning, we want to encourage you to come right now as we stand together and as we sing.